Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Wicked is lonely on the lead. He's up by four on the outside. Don't tell me again. Cutting into the margin, but it's McWicked. Four years later, back at the top of the sport. Homicide Hunter who sweeps past to the outside. Homicide Hunter trotting into the finish. It's Homicide Hunter who will hit the line. 148 and 4, the fastest trotter ever. Dewey did done good down the boulevard of broken dreams. Walker Meister coming at him. Walker Meister on the outside getting the best of him. Walker Meister in front. Giddy up. Three wide, all bets off. They're at the top of the stretch. Rockin' Ron turns first in the Battle of Lake Erie. On the outside, bit of a legend. Rockin' Ron, bit of a legend on the outside. Bit of a legend. This year's battle champion, 23 and 1. Homeward bound in gold cup and soccer. 59, somewhere fancy. Rockin' in heaven. Rose Run West is there. Here is the French connection. The alerts have won it. Fine. Twinkle takes aim in the passing lane. Now Caviar Alley in full gear outside. Shark start a feeling. Caviar Alley all out. Shark digging deep. Shark's going to dig in here and get the win here. Shark up on the front end. Then none shall pass for Tim Dietrich. You're tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike with co-host Mike Carter.
they appreciate if you, the folks here in attendance tonight, are not members of the museum. Theoretically, this is your museum. It's your lifeblood. And $35 is not too much. So if you can join the museum, we'd certainly appreciate it. I know that you think you're having fun tonight, but you haven't really had fun until you participated in the Billings Amateur Series. Here now to tell us about the best of that bunch from last year is the museum's 2019 Amateur Driving Champion and Museum Trustee, Steve Goldford. So a funny thing happened to me on the way to Goshen. Last Friday, I just happened to land in a Billings race at the Meadows. And who's calling the race? Roger Houston. And what happened in the race? I won it. There's nothing greater, I'll tell you what, than to have Roger Houston call a race and you make it to the winner's circle. Yesterday, I had the distinct honor of racing here, which I love to race. And at Goshen, even though it was in the mud, once again, Roger Houston called the race, and once again, I was a winner. So I have a favor to ask of you, Roger. This next Friday, I'm racing at Scioto. <laughs> Will you come along? I do have the night off. <laughs> it's a pleasure to race. It's a pleasure raise money for this this just this great institution and uh you know as roger pointed out everybody in this room should be a member so i encourage you as roger did to sign up and and do this all of our ckg billings earnings for commission for driving goes to the museum we also have a hall of fame uh, amateur trot series that runs four or five tracks and uh, all of that money also with the entry fees goes to support the museum so I encourage everybody in here to please continue to support those causes. I want to thank the tracks that, that are our lifeblood, the race secretaries, several of you are here that, that support uh, the, the amateur racing movement and in particular the CKG Billings, which all of the money from that goes to the museum. And lastly, I, I want to thank my trainers that got me here six times. Alan Jody Cisco are here tonight, wonderful, wonderful people with the horses that they brought forward. Terry Dieters from Ohio anchors that end of the stable, and Maurice Bucky Goldschmidt back home watching on TV. So I appreciate uh, the honor and uh, look forward to being back. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. This time, I'd like to bring Larry Devan back to the podium for the presentation of the Delvin and Mary Lib Miller Horse of the Year Perpetual Trophy. Larry Devan. Yeah, hello again. Uh, it's my great pleasure to... Uh, 
announced uh, Harness Horse of the Year, Mick Wicked. He was bred by Andre Farm from Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. World champion pacing horse. Fold in March of 2011 at Hillsdale, Pennsylvania. Owned by the SSG Stable. McWicket is trained by Casey Coleman and driven by Brian Sears and David Miller. As a seven-year-old in 2018, McWicket led the sport in earnings, winning 12 of 19 starts, hitting the board a total of 17 times. Victories included the Breeders' Crown Final, the Ben Franklin, William Houghton Memorial, Canadian Pacing Derby, TVG Open Championship, the Dan Rooney, and the Allridge Farm 146-2, the second fastest race in history. McWicket became the oldest pacer in history to be named Dan Patch Horse of the Year. Also voted Dan Patch Pacer of the Year and Older Pacing Horse of the Year in Canada. O'Brien Horse of the Year and Older Pacing Horse of the Year. I'm very pleased to introduce Ed James, who happens to be tonight's dinner sponsor, and present him with the museum's Delvin and Mary Lib Miller Horse of the Year Perpetual Trophy. Ed. opportunity, I'd like to ask a question about this industry. How come when a, pre, a award is presented, it goes to the owner? What's the owner done? He's done nothing. I'm not smart like other kids, so I have always used a pedigree matching individual. He tells me what horses to buy based on bloodlines. Then I take one of my trainers, say, go and check the horse. Then I take my other trainer, go and check the horse. Then I say, okay, to my trainer, buy it. It takes all the aggravation out of it, all the simplicity. And it's amazing in this industry how easy it is for a simple person to be successful. So I appreciate the prize. Thanks very much. Thank you. And now, then, the induction of the class of 2018 of the Harness Racing Hall of Fame. For those presentations, here's Hollywood 
Bob Hayden. It's time for the Living Horse Hall of Fame broodmares. And let's start it with Graceful Touch. Graceful Touch was bred by Sweden's Peter Erickson. She's a broodmare fold on February 23, 2000, during her racing career and the first seven years of her breeding career. She was owned by the Peretti Farms, currently owned by Steve Stewart, Black Creek Farm, and Maumee River Stable. Now, Graceful Touch has 11 registered foals with six starters, over a million nine in earnings, and her most successful offspring are the 2010 Hamiltonian winning Muscle Massive, the sire of Yonkers International Million Dollar Waste, Cruzado Del Noche, and 2010 Mary Annabelle winner, That's Not My Name. Son Muscle Mass is a sire of two sub-153 year old world champions, six-pack and one blue chip, the very first two to do it. Also, Southwind Serena, bred by Southwind Farm in Pennington, New Jersey, 2007. The Breeders' Crown winning Southwind Serena, 50 to 1 when she won it, was foaled on April 18, 2004, and during her racing career was owned by the Andrea Leah Racing Stable, currently owned by Steve Stewart. Black Creek Farm, and Andrea Lee Racing Stable. Southwind Serena has six registered foals, four starters, and over $3.1 in total, million in total earnings. Her most successful offspring are 2014 two-year-old Trotton Philly of the Year and Breeders' Crown winning three-year-old Trotton Philly of the Year, world champion and Hamiltonian favorite Mission Brief, as well as last year's Hamiltonian Heat winner and Breeders' Crown winning Tactical Landing. Steve and Cindy Stewart of Hunterdon Farm will accept the awards of both Graceful Touch and Southwind Serena. Come on up. You hold that. I'll let the mic hold that. We would just like to thank the uh, museum for this wonderful award for these two broodmares. Um, as most people know, we don't stand any stallions, and so it means an awful lot for us to uh, accept awards to our uh, our girls. And we're representing, along with uh, ourselves, um, the Schmucker family of Black Creek Farm and the Schmucker family of Mommy River that own um, a Graceful Touch with us, and uh, George Lowenfeld, who also raced uh, Southwind Serena. So it, thank you very much. Never forgotten. That is the legacy of the immortal members of the Hall of Fame. Their contributions to the sport are significant and will always be remembered. Bob Bonney, standing in for Joe Mendelson, chairman of the Immortals Committee of the Hall of Fame this evening, will introduce us to this year's class of immortals and their representatives. Bob. Okay, not so used to this. 
To this day, Dr. Leroy Coggins is internationally recognized for pioneering work in developing the sensitive diagnostic test for equine infectious anemia, known as EIA. The Coggins test became the official U.S. Department of Agriculture test in 1973 and is currently the gold standard as a serological diagnosis of EIA. Dr. Coggins' research significantly improved the practice of veterinary medicine and most likely saved the horse industry. Representing Dr. Coggins is Janet Terhoon. A native of Xenia, Ohio, Charlie Hinkle was the announcer for the Little Brown Jug, the Hamiltonian, and the Kentucky Futurity in the 1950s and 1960s, as well as for the Grand Circuit meets at Sedalia, Indianapolis, the Red Mile, Goshen, Springfield, and Delaware. He also called races at numerous county fairs in Ohio and was the regular announcer for extended paramutual meets at Hazel Park, the old Grandview Raceway in Cleveland, the Meadows, Hollywood Park, Los Alamitos, Cal Expo, Seminole, and Maywood. Hinkle's animated style of announcing served as inspiration for Communications Hall of Famer Roger Houston, who eventually served in two of the most prestigious positions Hinkle had held, as announcer at Delaware and at the Meadows Racetrack. Representing Charlie Hinkle is Roger Houston. I just want to say one thing. People in this room probably did not realize what Charlie Hinkle meant to the sport of harness racing. He single-handedly got the Little Brown Jug and the Hamiltonian on ABC and CBS radio. He did basketball for the University of Dayton Flyers and football as well. Duquesne University. He worked for Pat Boone as the announcer for the new team in Los Angeles in the ABA. Couldn't be any more fitting than Charlie be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Testing. Okay, let me know if it's, let me know if it's not working. Okay. Okay. Alan and Connie Skullnick were active players and supporters in the harness racing industry for over 30 years. Okay. 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 Sole and percentage owners of many racehorses, but couple built their Southland Farms into one of the most beautiful and successful standard breeding facilities in the world. The Skullnicks achieved their lifelong goal of owning a Hamiltonian winner when Muscle Hill set a stakes record of 150 and a fifth in the 2019 Hamiltonian. 
Other important victories for the couple included a Breeders' Crown with their filly, Juliet's Fate, World Trotting Derby with Chocolatier, North America Cup with Sports Rider, and two Breeders' Crowns with Chapter 7. Representing the Skullnicks is Barry Skullnick. Yes, on behalf of my family, uh, my late parents, Connie and Alan Skolnick, who uh, passed away in 13, not 03, um, we really do appreciate this honor. Uh, my father's dedication to this, to this sport has been unwavering. He had a tremendous love and passion for it. Southwind Farms, uh, Laura and Chris especially, um, they are continuing with my family's legacy, and we just thank you very much. World champion pacing mare, delinquent account, raced from 1989 to 1993, finishing on the board in 67 of 77 races and earning over a million dollars. At four, she won the Breeders' Crown and was named Dan Patch and O'Brien Older Pacing Mare of the Year. As a broodmare, her second foal by Arts Place proved to be her best as Art Escape captured back-to-back Breeders' Crowns and moved on to sire 2004 Horse of the Year Rainbow Blue. The liquid account was the dam of Hall of Fame broodmare Artera, also by Arts Place, who produced Breeders' Crown winners If I Can Dream and Western Terror. Western Terror went on to sire the winners of more than $88 million. Representing the liquid account, how Myron Bell. George Siegel is not here. He had a family affair. He wishes everybody congratulations. Uh, delinquent account was purchased as a yearling for $35,000 with my late friend, Alan Brook and partners. Alan passed away, was a great man, loved horses. Uh, we uh, purchased, Brittany purchased delinquent George and the late Brian Monison, one of the sweetest guys ever. But we were very happy to race her and breeder, and we want to thank the original breeder, a la carte stable, and the drivers, Mike Lachance drove her a little, but Billy O'Donnell drove her and did a phenomenal job. Thank you very much. There's a picture for the eight. 
Yeah, it's this time, I'd like to call to the podium for an introduction of the gentleman into the Harness Racing Hall of Fame. Billy O'Donnell, will you come forward, please? Well, welcome, everybody. First of all, I'd like to uh, congratulate all the honorees and inductees that are here this evening and, and all their supporters. Uh, the, this guy that I'm going to uh, present to us tonight has been a friend for many, many years. I met him in New England back in around 1970. And uh, in his bio, you can read you know, just the accomplishments that he did, especially with the sight of one eye. And uh, he was quite a guy, and anybody here that really knows Ted would relate to this story. I got one story I'd like to tell. He said one time he, he was racing a horse with John Copas at Yonkers, and the horse had just time trial the week before on 154, and John was away, so he put Ted down to drive, and so anyway, she won, and he came back from where he, wherever he was, John, and he comes back, and he said to his trainer, he said, uh, the mayor won, and he said, yeah. He said, how many changes did Ted make? He said, none. He was shocked. So anybody knows Ted, <laughs> he was meticulous about equipment. So he saw Ted in the paddock that night, and he said, Ted, he said, thanks for driving Mary. He said, she won. He said, uh, she must have been geared all right, right? And he says, not really, John. He said, there were so many changes I want to make, I didn't have time. So <laughs> anyway, if we could just bring up, uh, I think, uh, Ted's son, Ryan, is here to accept. So, Ryan, you want to step up? And uh, Ted, uh, Jackie, you should be in the Hall of Fame also, by the way. <laughs> Ryan, how are you, Ted? Give that to your mother. She's Watch out. That. Watch out. Take a picture. Yep. Thank you. 
check. Thank you, everybody, for that uh, warm reception for my father. Uh, that was really incredible. Um, and also thanks to Bill O'Donnell for bringing him up. Um, my name's Ryan. Uh, I'm Ted's son. About five years ago, it was brought to my attention that my father was not in the Hall of Fame. And uh, truthfully, I'd never given that much thought. Uh, up until that time, he was still fairly active racing and not concerned much with collecting accolades. And uh, my first thought about his admission was, who did he tick off? If you don't know Ted Wing, uh, he's a notoriously difficult personality. Uh, I say that in the most loving way. Uh, he's always told you exactly how he sees things and offered to deliver that news without the sugarcoating that most would realize was necessary. If my father never received this Hall of Fame induction, and it actually was because of something that he had said or done, I would completely understand. And I think everyone that knows Ted would understand as well. Uh, we've all been on the receiving end at one time or another. Yes. Uh, regardless of how abrasive he can be, the last few years of his life have been filled with love and care from those throughout the harness racing community, up to and including this tremendous honor today. For as much grief as he may have delivered, it must have been something right for so many to not only have put up with it, but to stuck around here for him in 2019. The list of people who have been to help is long and unfathomable. Uh, we have lots of thanks, but I'll keep it short. Uh, the Harness Racing Hall of Fame Museum, of course, for this honor. Uh, some of our friends with us tonight, Charles Ginsburg, Mac McLean. Steve Carroll, um, Tommy Lachetto, and Mark Ford uh, for all your friendship and everything you've done for us over the years. The thank you portion of this speech was actually written by my mother. Uh, without my knowledge, she wrote an entire speech for me to read tonight. Uh, and though well-intentioned, it was absolutely dreadful. So you can all thank me for sparing you having to hear her version tonight. Um, she sent me notes on the people she wanted to acknowledge for what they had done for over the years. Uh, noticeably absent from the list was herself. Throughout his career, she's been silent behind the scenes. Ted knows horses better than anyone, but it's about the full extent of what he knows. From paying bills, feeding him, clothing him, and raising his amazing, wonderful children, she handled it while he soared to tremendous heights professionally. And as his career wound down, she shifted from clerical work to cleaning stalls and assisting in any way that she could. She supported him through the hard times and takes incredible care of him every day. Caring for Ted Wing has never been easy in sickness or in health. This Hall of Fame honor would not be possible without you. I was fortunate enough to find a typewritten copy of a speech he gave on the night he was inducted into the main sports hall of fame. Though some of the references are a bit dated, parallels between those two hall of fame honors are easy to connect 33 years later. So here now in his own words are Ted Wing's thoughts on being inducted into the hall of fame. When I heard of my induction, I was very surprised and pleased to everyone responsible for my selection. My family and I are deeply grateful. My early teachers in the sport were instrumental to my success, and most of this honor uh, is deserved for them along with myself. My father, Morris Wing, taught me the basics from the time I was six years old. 
He shelled out $600 of his hard-earned money in 1965 to buy me my first horse and my first winner. That's Gohegan Fair. Other than teaching me the horse business, my father, Morris, and several other fine gentlemen from Maine taught me about integrity and honesty in all facets of horse racing. None of my success could have come without these people. Thank you again to the Hall of Fame and to Harness Racing in general for giving me all the opportunities that I've had. After concluding the thank you portion of his speech, my father finished that night with one last note. The reason we have a typewritten copy of that speech is because he actually skipped the ceremony and had someone accept the award on his behalf. He writes, with deep regret, I cannot be there with you to accept this evening. I'm driving the morning line favorite, Wilco's data, from post position one at the Battle of Brandywine. Gratefully yours, Ted Wing. I can assure everyone here today that if my father had an entry at any track in the world tonight, he would have skipped this too. From my entire family, thank you everyone for this great honor. Next up, John Campbell for our next introduction. Testing. Good evening. Ryan, that's a hard act to follow. It's certainly my pleasure to my pleasure to be here tonight, and congratulations to all of the new Hall of Famers, the communication corner, and all of the honorees here tonight. I've always admired people who get into our industry and achieve success without the benefit of family assistance or background in the horse industry. It is certainly more difficult and more daunting. Linda Zascano is one of these people. Earlier in her career, Linda worked for my brother Jim and I when we had a stable at Roosevelt Raceway. Linda had worked for Buddy Regan, who had one of the most successful and well-run outfits in the, on the New York circuit. This is where she learned the bulk of her horsemanship, and more importantly, how a professional stable was run. She also worked for Hall of Famer Bud Gilmore for a while. So by the time she worked for Jim and I, it had got to the point that we were learning more from Linda than she was learning from us. As soon as she came into our barn, she was the best caretaker by far. And so naturally, she was entrusted with our best horse, Two Rye John. This horse suffered a horrific track off-the-track accident that threatened his racing career. Linda not only nursed him back to health, back to the races, but back to his original form as a top-class performer at Yonker and Roosevelt. <clears throat> she had an innate love of horses, and that love of horses has carried her throughout her career and exists as strong as ever to this day. I know much has been written about Linda being the first female trainer to achieve a multitude of accomplishments in our industry. And she should be proud of that. 
And she should also be proud of setting a standard that young ladies in racing can look up to and aspire to. But the overwhelming fact of the matter is she has a Hall of Fame body of work and credentials regardless of gender. I mentioned her love of horses, and she always has the best interests of her horses at the forefront in any decision she makes. The decision to not race the overwhelming favorite Walner and the Hamiltonian is just one example of this. But with Linda, that decision was not the exception. It's Linda's rule. She is a wonderfully loyal person, and if you check the roster of owners in Linda's barn, Linda's Linda's people have been owners and partners in her stable for years and years. She is a leader in her industry, a voice for trainers and horse people. She's a board member of the Hamiltonian Society, a board member of the New Jersey SBOA. She is someone that everyone in harness racing look up, looks up to and respects. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to introduce and welcome to the Hall of Fame, Linda Toscano. See, that's why you don't let girls in, is what I just told John, because you need tissues. Um, thank you, John. We've come a long way since Turai Johnny. You've been the ultimate role model, but more importantly to me, you've been the ultimate mentor and friend. You didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, but you always told me what I needed to hear. I appreciate that, and I've always been grateful for your willing ear and your sound advice. I also want to congratulate all of tonight's honorees, Joe, Blair, Ted, Mark, and Dave. You are all so deserving, and I'm so proud to share the stage with you. In particular, I'd like to congratulate Ted Wink, who also played a big part in my career getting started. <laughs> Sending me horses to train at Roosevelt, you took a big chance trusting me. I'll always be grateful. I the Harness Riders, the Hall of Fame trustees, the selection committee, and all the people that had a hand in my receiving this honor. Never in a million years could I imagine that I'd be standing here. I started a Roosevelt Raceway. I got to watch and learn from some of the greats. My first boss, Buddy Regan, saw something in me and pushed me hard. I got to watch and work for Buddy Gilmore. I saw Billy Houghton, Jimmy Cruz, Buck Norris, Del Inscone, Norm Duplays, train and run their stables every day. I got to travel on the road with Stanley Dancer. Truth be told, if I didn't learn something, I wasn't paying attention. And Mike Lachance. Without Mike, I may not have had a career. He spent countless hours sharing his wisdom and teaching me things that I still use on a daily basis. When I first met Mike, I had a horse that was a touch on the ill-mannered side. Every week, Mike would fight him for three-quarters of a mile, and every week, he would finish fifth or sixth. One night, in total frustration, he looked at me, as only Mike can, and said, you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> so, some changes were made, and as, as some changes were made, 
And of course, he won his next start. Flash forward about a year to the night Southtown was racing in the La Paloma final. It was by far the biggest race I'd ever been in. $150,000 purse. I was a nervous wreck. She was the first two-year-old I had purchased and developed. I even owned a tiny piece of her. Anyhow, I check her up, and Mike says to me, now just remember, it's not important whether you win or lose this race. It's important that you got her here. I nodded. I thought about it for a second, and then I chased him back on the track and said, but I really, really want to win. He laughed. She won, and I was on my way. In the last few years, future Hall of Famer Timmy T has put me in winter circles that I could have only dreamed of getting to. Tim, I could never thank you enough. The Hambo is the brass ring, and you helped make it happen. When I was thinking about what I wanted to say up here tonight, I kept going back to the choices in life you make that have direct impacts on your life and happiness. I'm blessed in this department. The all-important choice is your partner. Brad, you deserve to be up here every bit as much as I do. You get up every day and work with me side by side. You have by far the lowest paying job with, without a doubt, the highest degree of difficulty. <laughs> you get to deal with me 24 seven. You also stay home and tend to the horses and the important stuff while I'm out chasing my dream. You are truly my partner in life and work. I love you and I thank you for all you do. My family and friends have always been there for me. They've tolerated my many hours of work and my missing many, many important events. They've scheduled things on Sundays with hopes that I could make it, knowing full well that Saturday was out of the question, and Sunday, eh, iffy. My niece even called me when planning her wedding to ask, when exactly is that horse thing you'd go to in November? Because I really need you to come to my wedding. <laughs> the horse thing was Harrisburg. So she planned it for the Saturday Harrisburg closed. After the sale, I made it. The next choice is your profession. Pick a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. This is so true. Even on the bad days, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Once again, I'm so fortunate. I have incredibly loyal owners and a loyal staff without which whom I couldn't get the job done. It truly does take a village. And I thank all of you for your trust in me. I'm only as good as the horses I train, and you all make that happen. Okay, the last thing I want to do is address, for me, the elephant in the room, the girl thing. Girls and horses. Whether it's Shirley Jones teaching Pat Boone how to drive a horse in April Love, which is my personal favorite, or Velvet beating the boys on the pie, it's a no-brainer. We just go together. I was raised by a mom who said, if you want something, I should go for it. Simple. Just do it. That was her feeling long before Nike coined that phrase. It just never dawned on me to worry about the gender bias. That's why I always strove to be thought of as a good trainer rather than a great female trainer. Today, however, it's not lost on me what a great honor it is to be chosen as the first female trainer inducted. My dad would be so proud. I'm humbled and I'm proud. I'd like to thank Marguerite for paving the way and I hope I can play a small part as a role model for women who choose this as their profession. I was always fascinated by the B. Farver stories. I would have loved to have seen her in action. Jackie Gracia has always been an exemplary role model. 
I'm proud to work with my dear friend Paula Wellwood on a daily basis. Her horsemanship is only surpassed by her ability to instinctively know what a horse wants and needs to get to the winner's circle. And she always keeps the welfare of the horse first and foremost. There's Joanne, Casey, Julie, Hannah, Anna, and Annette. And if I can mention those names without needing their surnames, then they must be doing something right. You girls all rock. <laughs> to you all, from me, dream big. I'm living proof that dreams can turn to reality. I may be the first in this category, but I can assure you I won't be the last. Thank you again. You have no idea how much this means to me. Donna Egan cannot be here tonight, but she said flowers for Linda. I know. <laughs> They're really from Jetlog. We have one more exciting opportunity. If you've been down to the races this weekend, you passed the beautiful new building being built. George Cassell will explain an opportunity to name the blacksmith shop now. George, you want to come forward? George, George, <laughs> and I don't mean Bannon. I think the great institution this is. But think about if you didn't have it. You didn't have it. Three years ago, this summer, we had a horrific fire. It works now. Didn't lose a single horse. We had two minor injuries. We had a meeting after the fire to decide exactly what to do. 
the Goshen Historic rent stalls. It didn't make any sense to build stalls that we could no longer rent. The museum is looking for space to expand the do restoration work. But we, we formed a committee and had a joint project to raise some money. The difficulty is that building a barn is going to cost us about $250,000. Turned for about $400,000 short. November of this year, we started to try to collect funds. Happy to support as of this evening. We have enough money to finish a project we started. It's going to cost us about a million dollars. The difficulty is that we lost a blacksmith shop and since the entire east portion of that Bosey's building, we have to relocate the blacksmith shop to the Edinburgh. We have a small grant with so tonight what we'd like to do is auction off the opportunity to name the blacksmith shop for any family. Just wanted to think for one second about that particular opportunity. That is everybody. Well, let's stop for a second. Let's change the subject. I have three granddaughters. They have on the Walk of Fame. My granddaughters visit about five or six times a year. Every visit is mandatory that they come and see that the names haven't changed, haven't moved. And I think after I'm gone and my wife is no longer with us, my grandkids and their kids are going to be coming to look at the name. So if you think about what an opportunity is, blacksmith shop and think about all the children who are going to see a blacksmith shop horse. So basically tonight we're going to auction off immortality. So I hope I touched your heart just a little bit. Now I'm going to ask Roger to come up and touch your pocketbook. We're not going to do it right now though, George. No, not all right. We're going to do it during the dinner break. Then you watch my hand. Yeah. Okay. I'll watch. Not going to be for me, but. So enjoy your dinner, and we'll be back in about a half hour to 45 minutes for more of tonight's program. And by the way, we're 12 minutes ahead of schedule.
check one. Huh? Check one, one, two. One, two. Check one, two, one, two, one, two.
One, two, check. One, one, two, check. One, two, one, two, check. One, two, three. One, two, one, two. This has to be. Let me go see what the problem is. One, two, tell me to go up. Check. One, two, one, two, check. One, two, three. Test. One, two. A little bit more. Check. One, two, one, two. Check. One, two, one, two. One, two, check, test. One, two, one, two.
Blog Talk Radio. And we might have a little bit of time in between for commercials, so. Okay. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> We're going Blair Burgess first, okay. All right, buddy, I'm ready when you are. All right, one second. Okay, we'll start at when my count in about thirty seconds. That way, I know when we're when we start and when we end. Okay. We're going to be starting at two with two hours and fifty eight minutes to go. Okay. Um. So we want to shoot for about two hours and five minutes, two hours and fifteen, give or take, somewhere in there. All right. Okay. Yep. All right. Here we go. Ready? Hmm. Five, four, three. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome out to the 2019 Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Goshen, New York. I'm Mike Carter, joined by Mike Bozich, as always, as we highlight some of the Hall of Famers being inducted into the Hall of Fame this evening. Mike, what a night it has been thus far. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, and everybody uh, that uh, gets inducted into the Harness Racing Hall of Fame certainly deserves it. And you know what? It is truly a great celebration of our stars. But one of the things I always look forward to during the Hall of Fame dinner, Mike, are the stories that, uh, you know, these horsemen and horsewomen tell. Some of the great stories, how they got started in the business, uh, you know, how are they brought up in the business, how they learned kind of the tricks of the trade. And it's always a pleasure to listen to some of the great stories that these great horse people have to tell. What an evening it has been thus far, Mike. Let's kick things off with Blair Burgess, who enters the Hall of Fame this evening. And Mike, what a career Blair Burgess has had. Uh, He's from Campbellville, Ontario. Uh, He actually uh, has a little bit of a driver's summary a little bit, Mike. He's got 200 lifetime driving wins, but his training career is in part as to what got him into the Hall of Fame. Over 900 victories, $23.6 million in career earnings yeah and of course two hamiltonian wins i think everybody remembers back in 2003 with amigo hall and of course back in 2006 with glide master he's also won the meadowlands pace on a couple of occasions with frugal gourmet back in 1987 and of course a horse that we remember very well real desire in 2002 he's got a win of the little brown jug tell all back in 2007 same horse uh, won the pepsi north america cup that year he's got wins in the kentucky futurity he's got a trotting triple crown champion with Glide Master, a Breeders' Crown champion. There really isn't too much in this sport, <laughs> Mike, that Blair Burgess hasn't accomplished. Yeah, Blair was quoted in uh, this month's Hoofbeats as saying, my two U.S. horses of the year were my two best horses by far. Real Desire is my best pacer, and Glide Master is my best trotter, but they kind of spoke for themselves. What an amazing, amazing quote. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, the good thing about Blair, and he's pretty active on Facebook, but he is so quick, and I love this, Mike, he is so quick to give credit to his wife and, of course, his wife, Karen Olson Burgess. And, uh, you know, when he got inducted to the Canadian Hall of Fame, which was uh, just a year ago, he said, uh, you know, if ever an award can be shared, 
it's definitely half Karens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he went on to say, he knows that's kind of cliche, and you know, people give credit to their better halves all the time. But uh, you know, he really gives a lot, gave a lot of credit to her. He went on to say that she made just as many of the training and management decisions on the good horses as I did. Cleaned a heck of a lot more stalls. And, uh, you know, he also gives credit to uh, a couple of his second trainers, Bill Rapson and James Carmichael. So Blair, a very humble guy and a certainly a deserving entrant into the Hall of Fame. Now he's a double Hall of Famer, Mike, a Canadian Hall of Famer, and now one right here in the States. Now let's move on to prominent owner Ted Gortz and what a career Ted has had. But one of the big moments for him was seeing she be stinging become the fastest female pacer of all time at the Red Mile back in 2013, a mark of 47 that stood for quite some time. And something very interesting, Mike, uh, she be Stingin's offspring just won a baby race that I called Meadowlands oh, there you go. on Saturday. So uh, there's certainly a little bit of a tidbit for you, so you're certainly going to want to keep an eye on that horse. And, of course, the horses is me to the charts on Saturday to find it. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. In 2000, a lot of great wind songs, legacy, house that Ruth built, uh, and the list goes on and on. Uh, together, both of those horses earned purses in excess of uh, over two and a half million dollars. Both had very high win percentages, and and you know one of the good things about Ted Mike is he is one of the big investors in our industry. I mean, he owns horses all over the place, and it's kind of a funny story, Mike. Yeah, when he used to go to the racetrack when he was young, he used to try to sit in the box seats, and they used to kick him out. And he figured out that if he actually bought a horse or if he got the small share of a horse, that they wouldn't uh, kick him out of the box seat. So that's actually <laughs> how he got involved in horse owning. But, uh, you know, we are just so thankful to uh, one of the biggest investors of our industry in uh, Ted Gordon's. Yeah, he has co-owned, owned, and bred more than 1,000 horses. And he's also served in numerous other roles, including Mike as a director of the Hamiltonian Society and a trustee of the Harness Racing Museum. Ted Gortz, a big part of the harness racing industry. And it's funny, Mike, we were talking about She Be Stingin', and we're going to be talking about Joe Holloway coming up uh, next here. Ted Gortz owned She Be Stingin', but Joe Holloway was the conditioner. How about that? And that's a perfect segue, segue into uh, our next guy, Joe Holloway. And, of course, Mike, uh, Joe Holloway of uh, the fa- – I mean, just had so many great horses. Uh, of course, Jenna's Beach Boy, the biggest horse that he's had. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, the list goes on and on. And Joe is just one of those guys, uh, kind of like Ted, kind of like all the Hall of Famers, Mike, that – uh, you know, he's just so much has done so much for the sport of harness racing. And, uh, you know, Joe definitely deserves it. And, and I know you got some great stats on Joe, who just picked up his 1,000th win not long ago. But, Mike, I think there's an asterisk by that because uh, the UST didn't start keeping trainer stats until what it was like the early 90s, right? Yeah, early 90s. He's listed at 1,007 victories, right. with just over $33.1 million made in his uh, illustrious career. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know he got his start uh, kind of like a lot of uh, horsemen and horsewomen got their start. They started working as a groom. They started kind of at the bottom up and just worked their way up and just kind of learned some of the tricks of the trade. And uh, you know he started in Delaware and he just kept uh, going and going. 
and uh, he actually uh, he was kind of an already established record maker or record uh, trainer, record maker back in those days. He started a training <laughs> partnership with uh, stable manager Dave Rovine, uh, and uh, that they actually set a Meadowlands record back then of 106 victories. That was back in uh, 1987, and that's you know kind of why I brought that up. And yeah, the, actually the correct year is 1991 when the USTA started. Uh, with the trainer stats so you can safely say Mike that through that and through his other training wins that Joe Holloway's definitely got a lot more than 1,000 plus something other some another cool statistic the trainer of the fastest horse of all time always be Mickey at least for the start of his career Mike was none other than Joe Holloway that's right and uh, you know I mean like I said the list goes on and on and uh, he trained Shebe's thing, and that what a great, what a great uh, mile that was. I remember that one forty-seven. And you know, if you've got a horse, and that was uh, done back, uh, what, that was two thousand thirteen, right? When she did that. Yep, two thousand thirteen. Yep. Okay. If you think about it, Mike, we're in two thousand and nineteen now, so it's been six years ago. And in this industry, okay, when you're talking about records. And how much faster horses seem to go each and every year. Six years when you're holding a record, Mike, is an eternity in this business. <laughs> right. Now. It really is. Yeah, for sure. Especially when in a sport that records are broken all the time. Six years is definitely an eternity. Joe Holloway uh, was quoted, Mike, as saying, I was hooked on harness racing, my butt, but my parents wanted me to go to college. There were some nights I headed for the nearest harness track to drive instead of heading for the library. I have a feeling that's going to be Ben in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you what, it's it's uh, it's kind of unbelievable how uh, people got their starts. And I know there's a lot of different stories on how people got their starts, but, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, in kind of a weird way, everybody kind of got their start the same way in the sense that they want to be at the racetrack and they find a way to be at the racetrack at a very young age, despite some of the other responsibilities that they have. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the same thing with Joe. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's definitely earned his mark in the uh, class of uh, the hall of fame this year. All right. Well, we've got a few more uh, Hall of Fame inductees to take care of, but we're going to take care of some business. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll have more from the 2019 Hall of Fame induction ceremony from Goshen, New York. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. At Bet America, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the Bet America way. Harness Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org.
success and fortune favors the bold. And we're all in at Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino. Join us as we kick off the live racing season with an epic fan appreciation weekend. Friday, March 29th and Saturday, March 30th for champion harness racing, new bets, folder promotions, free family events, live entertainment, giveaways, and more starting at 6.30 p.m. Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino is big, fast, folder. And we want you to be a part of it. Visit HarrisHoosierPark.com for more info. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. We're back on this very special edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. Mike Carter, joined by my co-host Mike Bozich and. Mike, I'll tell you what, what an evening it's been. We've highlighted three of the Hall of Fame inductees as we get ready to ho- highlight a few more. Yeah, let's uh, begin to take a look at <clears throat> Jerry Silverman, Mike. And uh, Jerry Silverman has been around a uh, respected horseman for over six decades. And uh, he announced his retirement back in 2014. But, uh, you know, Jerry is just one of those guys – that has been around for an awful long time. Uh, he's been training at a high level for an awful long time. And some of the horses that you may remember that Jerry's had, and keep in mind, he became the first, the sport's first trainer to have a pacing male and a pacing female earn $2 million. Of course, one die laughing with over $2.1 million in the bank. And that was Harness Racing's first millionaire at age two and three. And how about Glowing Report, who is the richest daughter, daughter of Art's Place, with $2,095,144 in earnings. And, Mike, that is a sensational stud. Wow, that's pretty impressive in its own right. You also have another horse he had that put him on the map, map back in 1965 and 66 was Romeo Hanover. He also, Mike, wore those famous green and yellow colors that have been a fixture in the sport for over 50 years. And Silverman's son, Richie, actually drove the stable's horses to some of their most memorable victories. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, he goes on, uh, if you look at the uh, the, Standard Bread Art, the Standard Bread Canada article from back in 2014, he goes on to say, now we just talked about a number of great horses, but he goes on to say that one of his favorite horses actually was a trotter called Rule the Wind when asked to reflect on some of his career highlights. And he goes on to say that he wasn't really meant to be anything. And we raced and we got to the Hamiltonian with him. It was very exciting. And, you know, that's one of the things, Mike, that is very interesting when you talk to horsemen and horsewomen and hear some of their stories is that, you know, they've championed a lot of these people champion great horses, world champions, breeders, crown winners, Hamiltonian winners. You you know, the list goes on and on. But 
it's a, lo- a lot of times when you ask them, well, what was your favorite horse? It was always a horse that, you know, you'd never really heard of, you know, it was if for oh, some yeah. various reason or another. And I think that goes to show how, you know, a lot of these horsemen and horsewomen, Mike, absolutely just love the game. And, you know, so when Jerry Silverman talks about rules of wind, you know, it's not a die laughing or a glowing report or, or uh, some of his better horses or Romeo Hanover, you know, it's, it's you know, rule the wind, a horse that nobody's heard of. That's, I, I, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We move on now, Mike, to the first female trainer to enter the Harness Racing Hall of Fame in Linda Toscano. How about the career she has had? Check these numbers out. 2,100 career wins, $52.9 million in career earnings, Hambletonians, you name it, she's been there. What an impressive run for trainer Linda Toscano. Well, Linda Toscano, Mike, is no stranger to first. She became the first female trainer to win the Hambletonian. She became uh, the first female trainer uh, to uh, – what else? She became the – well, that was a major – you know, with, with market share, of course. And uh, she was the uh, trainer, of course, of four-year-old chapter – you know, the uh, chapter seven horse. Uh, that was horse of the year. That was best older male trotter. That was back in 2012. And what I was about to say, Mike, before I got sidetracked uh, by a fly that keeps flying by, but she was <laughs> the first – uh, female to be trainer of the year back in 2012. So she has uh, accomplished a lot. And, you know, Mike, we here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, we, you know, certainly recognize uh, women's achievements in the sport of harness racing. We've, you know, got the Horsewoman of the Year Award. And when you talk about trailblazers in the industry, uh, as far as, you know, breaking down perhaps a lot of barriers when it comes to women and kind of a male-dominated business, Linda Toscano is certainly one of those trailblazers. Yeah, she's quoted as saying, I've always really resisted the woman thing for so long. I, I think I was always so resistant when people thought, yeah, she's good for a girl. And those last three words used to turn my blood cold. I didn't want to be good for a girl. I wanted to be good. And boy, has she surpassed that. Mike, she is probably more than good, one of the greatest traders of all time. No question about it. Whether it's male or female, she is definitely one of the greatest trainers of all times. And, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, Mike, and I ask myself this, uh, being a big harness racing fan, of course, and involved in the industry, I ask myself this probably once every couple of weeks. How good would Walner have been? Oh, yeah. That, that's the truth. I mean, Walner gave Linda her sixth Breeders' Crown victory as a two-year-old, and as a three-year-old, obviously, just did not come back the same. But how amazing would it would it have been to see him go on to be uh, go on to be something great? Yeah, I mean, and, and he was something great, but I mean, you know, just the, the injury that, you know, kind of, you know, shelved him at three, but you have to ask yourself, I mean, as impressive uh, as he was at two, I mean, how good he looked at two, you just have to ask yourself, wow, what could have Walner accomplished as a healthy three or as a healthy four-year-old? And uh, my feeling is, is that he would have accomplished a lot, but uh, nonetheless, you know, that's kind of a part of horse racing, but, uh, you know, Linda's accomplished so much in her career and she is probably Probably uh, one of the most deserving people, in my opinion, to uh, get the nod and get into the Hall of Fame. And, and she continues to, to blaze trails with being the first woman ever entered into the Hall of Fame. All right, we'll move on to Ted Wing, who enters the Hall of Fame after five decades in the sport of harness racing. Uh, Ted Wing, 134 career wins, $1.8 million in career training earnings. But Mike, 
He was also a pretty distinguished driver with over 5,100 career victories, and he actually drove before 1977, so that number might not even be true in its own right. And one good thing about Ted, if you ever sit down and talk to Ted, Ted's a really, really good guy. I've had a chance to do it a couple of times at the Meadowlands, and uh, just you know, full of great stories and that. But here is one of the greatest quotes, I think, of all the Hall of Famers, and uh, a quote that he gave to uh, Dave Mattia, who wrote for Harness Racing Hub. They wrote an article on Ted Wing back on September 2nd, 2018. And here's what Ted had to say. This is a great quote. He says, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, yes, that's very nice. It's a good pat on the back, but the Hall of Fame is not a place where you should go to die. I'd still rather be out there winning the Little Brown <laughs> Jug, especially if I could do it with a horse I owed myself. So uh, Ted is one of those guys that whenever you start talking retirement or bring up retirement, he's, you know, no, 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 you know. He's, <laughs> he's, well, he's one of those guys like, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah, for sure. One of his major uh, career milestone victories, Mike, uh, throughout his 50-plus year racing career was with Courageous Lady, who won at Yonkers Raceway in 1979. In fact, the Courageous Lady now uh, being raced at Northfield Park uh, in October every year. One of the things you may or may not know about Ted Wing is, uh, you know, back, back between 1970 and 1975, he had numerous driving titles. But at 26, Ted Wing was the youngest American-born driver to win 1,000 races, and he was the second youngest to win 2,000, second youngest to win 3,000. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the list of accomplishments for Ted go on and on and you know, Jack Lee, you remember Jackie Lee, the track announcer oh, yeah. of Roosevelt Freehold fame. Uh, he gave Ted a nickname. You have any idea what that nickname is? I love this nickname, by the way. Oh, boy. It's the I'm major. I'm to find out. The major. The major. The major. So, so, so when you when you get back, uh, you know, when, when the, the the Hall of Famers start talking again, and maybe after the dinner or whatever, Mike, maybe you could pull uh, Ted aside and uh, just say, hey, major. <laughs> I might have to do that. I might have to check that right. out and see uh, see if it works. All right. We're going to take a look real quickly at the uh, Immortals Hall of Fame. We're just going to highlight them really quickly. And um, Dr. Leroy Coggins is not only a legend in harness racing, but through the equine world, Mike, uh, for the revolutionary test that uh, brings his name, the Coggins test that each horse is required to have. Uh, the Coggins diagnostic test remains crucial. Um, in reducing the occurrence of equine infections, anemia, EIA, and is a vital component to the health of the entire horse industry. Also going into the Immortal Hall of Fame, Mike, is somebody you may know, Charlie Hinkle. That's a name you've heard before. Mm -hmm. uh, he announced at many tracks, including uh, Los Alamitos, Cal Expo, Maywood, The Meadows, the list goes on and on. And then, of course, Alan and Connie Skolnick. They were founders of New Jersey's Southwind Farm, one of the most successful standard breeding facilities in the world. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk some horses, Mike, as some of the horses entering the Hall of Fame here in 2019. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. 
Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter, for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a lift chair or scooter to help with your mobility needs? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application or contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org. If eligible, you may receive funding. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer or driver? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2018 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2019 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through November 30th. For the drivers and trainers that are currently participating in the challenge and donate $100, they will receive a Pacing for the Cure long sleeve t-shirt or baseball cap. For a $250 donation, the driver or trainer will receive two tickets to the annual party. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email Jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers and trainers. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. At BetAmerica, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the BetAmerica way. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second-richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And Mike, the 2019 Hall of Fame from Goshen, New York. What a night it has been, and we're looking forward to the remainder of the evening. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, we've heard from some uh, great, great Hall of Famers, some great stories, and, and those stories will continue here in a few minutes. But, Mike, we're going to uh, not only are we inducting tonight uh, some horsewomen and horsemen, but we're also inducting horses as well and three good ones at that. Yeah, for sure. We'll start with Art Major, and what an amazing career Art Major had his um, not record scoring victory, but his career mark came at the Meadowlands in the U.S. Pacing Championship with a 148 and four mile with John Campbell in the sulky. That year, he went on to win the Breeders' Crown with John Campbell in the bike. He made 2.7 million in career earnings, 32 wins and 49 starts. Impressive career for Art Major on the racetrack. 
Yeah, and he is the richest performer by uh, legendary Sire Arts Place, and he's also proven to be uh, successful uh, as a stud as he was on the racetrack. But, you know, taking a look at some of his racing credentials, Mike, back in 2002, he was a three-year-old called Pacer of the Year, uh, leading money-winning standard bread back in 2003. He was the older uh, Pacing Horse of the Year. He's the leading money Winning standard bred uh, in North American Seasons Champion is a four-year-old pacer. That's the mark that you just mentioned, Mike. One forty-eight and four Breeders' Crown Champion, Kane Pace, Tattersalls Pace, Confederation Cup, Canadian Pacing Derby, U.S. Pacing Championship. I mean, you name it, <laughs> he's won it. I mean, and that's you know, I could probably go on for days with with uh, his stakes wins, but uh, certainly a great horse, Mike. Uh, one of my favorites of all time, and, and uh, certainly well deserving of getting the nod he's getting today. Interesting fact, Mike, he has sired 22 foals with sub-149 records, nine nine millionaires, and Tom Grossman uh, is recorded as saying the best attribute of him and his offspring is lung capacity. They never get tired. His numbers really picked up in the second half of his career. And, Mike, I got to attest to that. Art majors, they do not get tired. Yeah, and some of those horses that uh, the impressive world champions uh, that uh, are sons uh, of our major include uh, 2014 Horse of the Year, J.K. She's a Lady, also $2 million winner, Artificial, also uh, probably owns oh, the yeah. biggest upset in the career of, uh, in, the, in the sport of artist racing, uh, and uh, Hypnotic Blue Chip, and the list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, I mean, just to not only – you know, in in this day and age of harness racing, Mike, I mean, you, you know, if you're not a gelding, there's really uh, two different sides to your career. I mean, there's what you accomplish on the racetrack and then what you accomplish in the breach. And I think that really makes your career complete. And Art Major was equally effective as, at both. All right. Let's move on to Captain Treacherous. And we've heard a lot about Captain Treacherous. Talk about an impressive sire uh, in his first couple of years of breeding offspring. But on the racetrack, Mike, $3.1 million in career earnings, 23 victories in 33 career starts, only missed the board twice ever in his career. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a horse that by the time it's all said and done, Mike, and, and think about it, he could be the greatest sire of all time when it's all said and done. I mean, I really don't know of a horse that has just been so hot uh, out of the out of the breach yet. I mean, Captain Crunch, the list goes on and on. And I'll tell you, there's hundreds of captains now uh, out there, and they're competing everywhere. Pennsylvania Sire Stakes action, you see. I'm telling you, you see some of these races, they've got five, six, or seven captains in it. I mean, it's just crazy, <laughs> and they're all really good. Uh, so, you know, congratulations to him. But let's not take away, Mike, uh, first of all, what he's accomplished on the racetrack because his sire career is just getting started. Uh, like you said, he made over $3 million. Metro play, uh, pace winner uh, at two at 49 and two. Uh, he, uh, I believe he equaled uh, a, a record in that, uh, in one of the eliminations. I might be wrong on that because I'm, I'm saying that by memory. But, uh, um, but I mean, uh, just a fantastic, stellar career. Pepsi North America Cup winner uh, at age three. Of course, the Meadowlands Pace winner, Breeders' Crown winner, Kane Pace, the list goes on and on. And uh, like I say, I mean, if you're excited to see what Captain Treacher has accomplished on the racetrack, then you're going to be equally as excited to see how his stud career develops. And by the looks of things, it's going to be remarkable. How about him in the TVG free-for-all final at the end of his three-year-old career? What he tried to do against horses like Golden Receiver, Foiled Again, and Bolt the Doer was so impressive. 
Now, the charted line, Mike says that he finished sixth, beaten by two lengths. But I'll tell you what, he put in a monster effort that night against some of the sport's top older horses and was only two-fifths of a second behind foiled again. What an impressive yeah, field and, he was. And as a three-year-old, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, whenever you hook up three-year-olds with older horses, uh, maybe not so much on the trotting gate but on the pacing gate, I mean, it's just a tall, tall task. Uh, to ask, you know, and and uh, Captain Treacherous raced his heart out that day and was very impressive in defeat. And like you said, uh, you know, horses, uh, you know, like the artificial race, you know, horses impressive in defeat. You know, sometimes their defeats are more impressive than their victories, and that's what kind of horse Captain Treacherous was. I mean, or is I should say, gave it a hundred percent every time. And uh, now look at in the breed shed. I mean, his his sons and daughters are just out there killing it. And uh, you know, hey, I mean, what more can you say about Captain Treacherous? This is definitely a deserving honor. Him getting the nod for the Hall of Fame. If you were to ask trainer Tony Alanya who his favorite horse was, I bet you a million and a half dollars he'd probably say Captain Treacherous. Yeah, I would certainly. <laughs> well, that's a safe bet, Mike. I mean, you might be going out on a limb a little bit, but uh, you know, that's that not you. The side of hey, you know, <laughs> listen, why, why wouldn't it be? Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that's a pretty safe bet that it's his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about. Uh, the wonder, one of the greatest horses of all time, the richest horse of all time. There's nothing bad that you could say about Foiled Again. And, Mike, you got the honor of calling his 100th career win, uh, something we got, actually got to play on this show back uh, last year when we were in Jackson. But, you know, what an amazing, amazing horse that Foiled Again was. Um, he showed up in Florida. Okay, they brought him the, on stage, uh, or they brought him in front of everybody at the Dan Patch Awards to well, accept his award, proximity award. The blacksmith shop. Uh, there's not enough words in the dictionary to describe Foiled again. No, and you know it's it's honestly when it, it, this is how you know that Foiled again is such a special horse is the effect that he has on people. I mean, when you start thinking about the career foiled again, it's hard not to get choked up. It really is. You know, and then you look at what he did at age 14 um, and the trainer and the Burks and Weaver Bersemi and, and all the guys, JJK, Joe Corey, uh, Stables, giving back to the sport of harness racing by taking him on that tour. And Mike, we followed him along in that tour uh, you know, and they took him everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Shenandoah Downs in Virginia. Okay, they took foiled again to Shenandoah Downs in Virginia. What a great, great thing for the sport of harness racing, for the racing fans in Virginia. Okay, to see that to see the world's richest racehorse. I mean, that is just. And they took him everywhere, Mike. It was it, it was an unbelievable thing that these guys did with Foiled Again. And, you know, Foiled Again is just, he's a superstar. He's a legend in this business. And I'll tell you what, you know, listen, uh, and, and it's it's never going to happen, but I could go on and call 10 Kentucky Derbies, okay? Nothing will ever be as special to me than calling Foiled Again's 100th win. That I can guarantee you, no matter what I accomplish in my career, that is going to be my highlight. You know, it's funny you say that because I was talking to Mark McKelvey shortly after his final career win or final career race at the Meadows, and I said to Mark, "Think about this for a minute. You called his final career victory. 
Think about that for a second. Think about that for a minute. You know how special calling his 100th win was to you. Imagine the feeling of knowing that you were the final one to call a victory of foiled agains. I mean, I I called one on December 9th of uh, last year. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, if he never wins another horse race again, you know, that would be the staple of my career because it was the staple of my career calling uh, foiled again a couple of times that I had the opportunity to. But like guys like Mark McKelvey, that that's a that's a once in a lifetime opportunity, obviously. Well, no question about it, Mike. And, and you know, and, and we had the opportunity to kind of do a little post time of Mike and Mike thing at Harris, Philadelphia. And uh, we presented um, you know, the, the foiled again, iron horse award, which is, you know, named after our award, but we give him a special, uh, award that particular day. We did that in the Harris Philly winner's circle. And, uh, yeah, it was just a special, special time. And the, I'll tell you what, it didn't take long for that winner's circle to fill up. The, <laughs> people obviously <laughs> not at the all. Great foiled again, but you know what, everything he's done for the sport of harness racing, not only, uh, was he racing pretty much at his top level for a long, long time, for a number of years. But uh, what he did that final year as a 14-year-old, uh, being the biggest ambassador that the sport of harness racing could possibly have, was really, really special. And, you know, and then, like I say, like you brought up a couple of minutes ago, Mike, to top it all off, when he, uh, you know, when he showed up at the Believable thing. First of all, the underbidder was Steve. Steve Stewart from Kentucky, and he was the underbidder, and he has bought a stall for five thousand dollars. So, Steve, we thank you. The naming of the blacksmith shop for eighteen thousand dollars, Russell Williams. Russell Williams, the winner, uh, 18000 for the naming of the blacksmith shop. But we also thank Steve for the 5000 for the naming of the stall. We're ready to get underway, and we call to the podium the magic man, Bill O'Donnell. Our next inductee here is a gentleman I've known for, well, since I was at the Meadowlands in 1980 or 81, he he called me and wanted to know if I would drive a couple horses for him, and it was one of the best calls I took at that point in my life, for sure. It was computer, and he had a trotter. He was by Green Speed. I forget his name now, but anyway, he was not a bad trotter. Oh, Camp David, yeah. So anyway, we, Jerry got them sold for... 
I think four million or something, and went back to California. And then he landed back the next year with eight or ten or twelve, and I was driving for him. He was doing really, really well. But he had done well before that. He had Romeo Hanover, who was a Triple Crown winner, and he had gone to California, come back, and within a year he had about a hundred horses, and it really jump-started my career. I can tell you that around this part of the world. And he he's had great horses from the '60s right straight through to Growing Report was around maybe eight or ten years ago, right? So five, six decades. And uh, he, he, Jerry was a great, uh, he was a great manager actually for a stable. I mean, he had good help. The help all uh, were, when you'd race a horse, if you'd ask him to change the head pole, they'd write it down to be done. There was no problems whatsoever. And uh, he has a great eye for a colt. He's, uh, I call him the family guy. He loves families. He buys horses that are in families four, five, six, seven years in about, it seems to work for him, and uh, it's my pleasure to introduce into the Hall of Fame is my friend Jerry Silverman. to stop to stop off to tell you a little speech I had for you and and, and the probability that the harness racing will be a success as it always is the right kind of people run it the right kind of people own it and you get this kind of uh, crazy wild testers these people are enjoying it having a good time, and uh, they're thinking about how much success they've had in this game. Well, the night that Romeo was bought, I went and I lived in uh, Henry Hudson Parkway in the Bronx, and I went down the elevator to get the car, and I heard the intercom for the houses. And what happened was, my wife rang down. She says, my water broke. I'll be coming right up. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so I'm ready to go up. And she says, no, no, no. She says, you've planned on this trip. You've been down to Harrisburg and Murray Brown's place. And now she says, there, this is a gift. Romeo was a gift, and he really, really was. And I had a heck of a woman to say, leave me right here with the future. With the future. We'll leave it that way. And, uh, but I got to tell you one thing, though. There's a few people that are special. In every business you have, there is somebody that's a special person. And I had caretakers grooms, and everybody with those horses. And what was it? Romeo started the whole procedure and finished it and was a great horse. And I wish everybody the best New Year's and everything because I'm proud to be a member of this association. Thank you.
Bob Hayden for our next Living Horse Hall of Fame, represented by Bob Hayden. The next man we're about to introduce is a Delaware native, constant presence over the last four decades, often at the highest level as a trainer. You know his, him as Mr. Joe Holloway. The first man he worked for is here, Jack Parker Jr., also worked for David Robine. Can't get a better owner than Marty Granoff. He's here. Joe Hurley's in there, Mitch Skolnick. He also trained for George Steinbrenner. That's right, that George Steinbrenner. Joe Holloway has been overseas with the talented Florida Jewel. Spent the Yonkers trot dead heat with McClucky. First trainer to win over 100 Meadowlands races in a year back in 87 with 107. And within a two-month period in the same year, he had a horse go past Presidential Bowl and Western Hanover in a major stake with America's pastime and safely kept. That's right, with both. Best known for three-time Breeders' Crown winning Janice Beach Boy. He once went one-two in a Breeders' Crown, which she's a great lady in Armbro Nest. But Joe has the most unique resume, maybe of any horseman alive, because nobody else you know can make the following statements. Joe Holloway trained the fastest three-year-old of the 20th century, Badlands Hanover. He trained the fastest three-year-old of the 20th century, Genesis Boy. He trained the fastest four-year-old of the 20th century, Genesis Boy, 47-3. And he's trained the fastest female racehorse ever, regardless of century. And, oh, by the way, I didn't even mention always be Mickey's name. We spent a year and a half in the Holloway barn. It's as simple as this. There ain't no stopping them now. Joe Holloway, welcome to the Hall of Fame. I'd like to thank all the writers and everybody that voted me in. I mean, it's truly an honor. I mean, it's not something you dream of as a 12-year-old kid down in Brandywine Raceway. Uh, I'd like to thank the people that supported me through all the years, my owners, a couple of them are here. I mean, Marty Granoff, Ted Gewertz, we've had a lot of fun, a lot of success, and I truly appreciate it. Uh, without any trainer, without any great help, uh, I wouldn't be here. But one of them's here, and that's Howard Kelly. 
I'd like to say thank you to Harold for all the years he helped me out. And then finally, I'd like to thank my family and friends because without them and their support, it, none of this would have been possible. So thank you very much, and thank you. You almost have a heart attack when you find out somebody stole your script. Also now, once again, we call Bob Hayden back to the stage for another presentation. Thanks, Roger. Let's welcome now the Living Horse Hall of Fame Racehorses and Stallions. And this is quite a lineup here coming up, these three. 1927 Yankees, beware. Here we go. Let's start with Art Major, bred by Brittany Farm, Versailles, Kentucky. Art Major was foaled on June 11, 1999, which means he had a 20th birthday four weeks ago. A lifetime record of 49 starts, 32 wins, 7 seconds, 2 thirds, and his primary driver and trainer with John Campbell and Bill Robinson, respectively. In 2002, the three-year-old Art Major finished on the board in 25 of 31 starts with 20 wins. Victories included the Breeders' Crown, Hoosier Cup, Cane Pace, and his earnings of $1,562,000 were more than any other standard bred of that year voted Dan Patch O'Brien three-year-old pacing cult of the year. The four-year-old Art Major won eight of 11 with three seconds back in 2003. The major victories included the Breeders' Crown, Canadian Pacing Derby, U.S. Pacing Champion, and he ranked fourth of all standard bread and earnings with another million-dollar season, a million oh eighty-two. Art Major was voted Dan Patch O'Brien Older Pacer of the Year. As a stallion, Art Major is a sire of 22 and 149, has sired the, the winners of over $126 million with nine millionaires, including world champion Art Official, winner of the 2000 Meadowlands Pace over Sunbeat Somewhere, Hoosier Cup, Kane Pace, 2014 North America Cup winning J.K. Endemanera, world champion hypnotic Blue Chip, who lowered Jenna's mark, winner of the 2010 U.S. Pacing Championship and 2007 Breeders' Crown Governor's Cup winner Santana Blue Chip, and last year's Jug and Pace winner, Courtley's Choice. As a broodmare sire, Art Major sired the dams of winners over $39 million. Representing Brittany Farm, Myron Bell will receive the award for Art Major. Better not touch the mic. I, I'm, I left something out before about delinquent accounts. I want to give recognition to Johnny Copas and Bob McIntosh to develop her and race her for her career. I'm accepting this award for Jean Regal, who picked out per, per, Perfect Profile, the dam of Art Major, and George Siegel, who owned him, 
and sold the colt as a yearling. And Chris Ryder had him at two and Bill Robinson. And he's a, he was a great horse, great stallion, and we're happy to be part of him. Second on the list is none other than Captain Treacherous, bred by the White Birch Farm in Allentown, New Jersey. The two-time Pacer of the Year, Captain Treacherous, he did it at two and three, first since Niatros to do it at two and three, was foaled on February 17, 2010, had a lifetime race record of 23 wins, 33 starts, five seconds, two-thirds, driven by Tim Tietrich, trained by Tony Alanya. In 2012, the two-year-old Captain Treacherous finished on the board in all 10 starts, winning eight, three of them in sub-150, earning 918000 The leading money-winning two-year-old standard bread of 2012, he was voted Dan Patch Pacer of the Year and Dan Patch and O'Brien winning two-year-old pacing Colts of the year as well. The three-year-old Captain Treacherous earned over $2 million while winning 13 of 16 starts, including the Breeders' Crown, North America Cup, Meadowlands Pace, Hemp Memorial, Cane Pace, American National, Tattersalls Pace, and the Bluegrass. He was both the 2013 Dan Patch Pacer of the Year and three-year-old Pacing Colts of the Year. Captain Treacherous was the leading money-winning standard bread of 2013. Captain Treacherous retired as the ninth leading single-season money-winning pacer of all time. His sons are tearing it up on the racetrack this year. And Myron Bell and Tony Alanya will come on up and receive the awards for the great Captain Treacherous. This all started many years ago with the late Joe Parisi. And Joe Parisi had a vision and he bought a mare called World Order. And he bred her to Art's place and he had... Worldly Beauty and her sister, Worldly Treasure, who's the dam of Captain. And uh, David Reed is here representing White Birch. We'd like to thank Joe and his late son, Michael, for doing a phenomenal job breeding. And their late farm manager, Steve, who passed away this last year. But Tony Alanya gets all the credit. The, the moment we saw Captain Treacherous at White Birch Farm, we knew we were going to bid on him, and we were lucky enough to buy him because his pedigree and his manner and his whole stature was phenomenal, and he's never let us down. I let Roger down. We didn't race in the Little Brown Jug, but I'm going to make it up to him because he's going to have three of his offspring this year in the Jug. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And last and far from least is foiled again. That's right. 
Spoiled again, bred by Barbara Matthews in Chesterfield, New Jersey. World champion pacing gelding, foiled again, foaled on May 8, 2004 in Englishtown, New Jersey. Owned by Burke Racing Stable, Weaver Brasami and J.K. Stable. Spoiled against primary driver and trainer with Yannick Jingrad and Ron Burke. Spoiled against the leading money-winning standard bred of all time. In addition to his 109 victories, he's the only standard bred ever to have over a million dollars in three consecutive years, and he did it at seven, eight, nine, with average annual earnings of more than 587000 over 13 years of racing. He finished on the board, get this, 225 out of 331 starts. The second leading money-winning standard bread of 2011, his earnings of a million four hundred five made him the top single-season money-winning pacing gelding of all time. He was voted Dan Patch Pacer of the Year as well as Dan Patch and O'Brien Older Pacing Horse of the Year. The third leading money winning pacer in 2012 with a million two oh seven in earnings, Foiled again became the oldest pacer on record ever to have a million dollar year and was again voted Dan Patch Older Pacer of the Year. In 2013, the nine year old Foiled again became the oldest pace oldest horse ever to win a Pace Breeders Crown. And in the Franklin elimination, Foiled again set a world record 48 for all-age pacing geldings on the 5 8 mile track. With a million four oh four nine eighty four in earnings, he was the third leading money-winning standard bread in 2013, recording his third consecutive million-dollar season and voted Dan Patch O'Brien Older Pacer of the Year. Since his retirement after 2018, his 14-year-old season, Foiled again has traveled extensively as a popular ambassador for the sport of harness racing and receiving many visitors, just like he did today. How about a hand for Foiled Again for Mickey Burke and the Burke family? On behalf of my family, um, JJK, I want to thank everybody for this honor. Let me thank you. Uh, this horse has done things. This horse has done things for us that you can't explain. And even the last two years, um, just traveling around with him and seeing the outburst of people that want to come and see this horse. It really gives you something to think about in what we do. And he's just an amazing animal to be around. Thank you. I just want to announce something. I told Janice to do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie and Diane and Sylvia and I have each bought a, a skull in the new barn for 5000 apiece. Thank you. I just want to say that the Living Horse Hall of Fame Committee rewrote the rules so that we could honor the horse foiled again this year instead of waiting until he's 20 years old. So thank you, Seth Rosenfeld and Bob Bonney for spearheading that.
Our next presenter, Tom Charters. You sure O'Donnell's not introducing this one either? Could I have your attention, please? Can I, nothing you can say is more important than what Ted Gortz has got to say, and I think it appreciates your attention. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate all the honorees, human and equine, I'd also like to congratulate Ushua, although they came up with a pretty large slate. It's a deserving slate, and I think everybody'd agree it's it's a terrific bunch that have been here so far at the podium and a couple of ago. And I again I'm proud to be a trustee of the Hall of Fame and congratulate you and your staff for providing the hospitality of this event. It's something to look forward to every year and uh, appreciate it. I have the wonderful privilege of introducing Ted Quirks, good friend, colleague. Um, his story is not necessarily unique. He comes from that core of young people who fell in love with this sport, usually in the New York metropolitan area, some six decades ago. And he's had a pretty good run for six decades as a fan. As a player, as an owner, which included Hamiltonian um, winner circles, about nine breeders' crowns winner circle, and an international trot, plus a whole host of other classic races that he's won, not to mention world champions. I'd like to regale you with stories or anecdotes of traveling with Ted and Claire, with my wife and I in Europe and around, because he's really a fan, but I'm not bore you with that. I just want to say that's not what get, got him to this wonderful shrine in harness racing. Although it's certainly commendable and to be envied. In my opinion, it's Ted's generosity, his service to be on boards and be active on boards, uh, providing both financial both financial uh, help as well as expertise. He's a lawyer by trade. He used to tell me when I was president of the Hamiltonian Society 
that a pro bono lawyer is you get what you pay for. I never believed him. His attention to detail is amazing. And I appreciate all the help he gave me, the help he gives the Hall of Fame, the help he provides for John Campbell. Um, really an extraordinary guy. And as I said, it is my great pleasure to welcome him to the Hall of Fame here at Goshen, which he truly deserves. I have to see. Well, okay, I thank Tom. I didn't think he'd go that long, but the other honorees cut their speeches short, so I, Janet, do I have any extra time? I won't use it, but as long as I have the license, it's okay. The thing about Tom is, though, and I won't regale you with our trip on the, in, in the train for sleeper car for two from Paris to Venice, that we had four in the sleeper car for two, but it was uncomfortable, but we ate well for the food we bought at the train station in Paris. But that's only one of the many stories. But I, seriously speaking, I should be introducing Tom. Now, I don't understand. I always thought he was in the Hall of Fame. Here's a guy, his accomplishments, and he's been the ambassador of this sport for 20 years or more. Get on with And the world, no, I have to... I have to thank you, so thank you for the great introduction. Okay. Now, when I was first advised that I might be considered for the Living Hall of Fame, I was a little puzzled. After all, although the horses in which I owned won many of the big races, And looking at the list of Living Hall of Fame members, I didn't see very many people who were basically purely owners. Most of these people had, while they owned horses, they were in the industry in other capacities, such as primarily drivers, trainers, industry executives, officials, and the like. So, my breeders, So I asked myself, why me? So I had to, in preparing for tonight, I really had to give it thought. And when I had been advised, notified of my election by Sean Wiles, I asked myself, okay, why? And that, I gave it a lot of thought. So at the end of my thinking, the best answer that I could come up with, which is a, uh, a saying attributed to Woody Allen, quote, 80% of success is showing up. At least in my case, while we can quibble about the percentages, uh, I have to agree with Mr. Allen. I showed up. But 
there's another comedian who's well known for his saying that I differ with, at least me and him. Rodney Dangerfield is known for just saying, I, I get no respect. Well, in my case, I got much more by this honor and my election. I've got a lot more respect than I think I deserve. And that's the way it goes. But I really could never have expected or anticipated uh, this honor. So I'm grateful to all of you, especially the voters that made this possible. Now, I want to quickly give credit to all of the, the many people, uh, trainers, dri drivers, and uh, other owners to whom I own this award. My first great horse was the Vidya Hanover. She was trained by Gary Lewis, originally from upstate New York and currently in Florida. She was driven by John Campbell, who needs no description, except I didn't know John very well. Only in the last few years, I've learned that John Campbell is approaching no one could approach his ability as a driver, as an ambassador, but John is becoming at least as good as an executive, and that's saying quite a lot. It's becoming as good a, an executive as he was a driver. Okay, from Sweden, my next great trainer was Per Erickson, who trained the various horses named Giant something or other. And those included Giant Victory, Giant Force, Giant Chill, Giant Hit, and many others. From Norway, Tron Smetshammer gave us Windsong's Legacy, House that Ruth built in the same year, as well as Strong Yankee, Poster Pinup, and They Say Hanover. From Buffalo, New York, and now Goshen, Ray Schnitka, trainer and driver, and driver, we cheat him how, Huntsville, so surreal, and many others. From Bear, Delaware, you've, you've seen and heard him tonight, so I don't have to go into all the detail. Joe Holloway, my fellow inductee, who, at least for me, uh, was responsible for the horse Modern Art, She'd Be Stinging, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Better Be Stepping, Divine Caroline, Rainbow Room, and now Zero Tolerance. And I hope, and I hope we do a little better with Sarita. She showed some promise last night in winning her, her division of the Reynolds, and I hope she does well in the Oaks. Uh, in addition to Joe, there was a horse called Driven to Win, who, besides earning close to a million dollars, gave us a big thrill by going up to Prince Edward Island and winning the, in record time, the Gold Cup and Saucer, which I had always read about. And this is, is a great, great place and a great race. 
and you should be there. And and by virtue of that, I really got to know the Hennessys, including including Hall of Famer Wally Hennessy, who who raced a so that was just a, a great experience. Everyone should get up there at least once because it's it's terrific. Okay. Also from a Delaware was George T. Junior, who all of you have known or have heard of for us. He trained Fancy Philly, who was a, a great two-year-old, and a three-year-old season was caught, cut short by injury. She was two-year-old, Pacing Philly the year, and Custer the Dragon, another great horse. Thanks also to, and he's here tonight, Gates Brunet, from, originally from Canada, by way of California, and now from upstate New York, near Vernon, He's sitting at our table. His wife, Debbie, who are dear friends of ours, who we also had great time, a couple of times in traveling around Europe together. And great, great still holds it. Gates still holds it against me because he speaks French and I don't, and he knows how to drive around Paris, and he was mad at me. <laughs> but that's okay. Terrific trainer, and he does his own shoeing. So and he was actually introduced to us by the same Jack Parker Jr. who Joe Holloway mentioned. And I have to also give a shout out to Chuck Connor. Chuck here tonight? No. He was here for a horse called Short Sign, a very nice mare for us. And finally, I do want to mention Chris Ryder for giving us Dawn of a New Day. It was a nice horse and won the Hoosier Cup and many other stake races. Now, I do have to mention some of the, just a few of the co-owners that I've had been associated with over the years. First, Steve Robbins, who is no longer in the business, but was nice enough to come up here tonight sitting at our table. And we owned the giant horses together, and we had a blast because we didn't care. We made a lot of money on the trotters. We lost a lot of money on our paces. So we had a great time outbidding people at the sales. And it was great while it lasted, Steve. But you can never count on a win. Okay. Uh, I have to also mention Marty Granoff, who's here tonight from the Valdor stable. Marty is the major owner of the horses trained by Joe Holloway, so I'm just great, glad to be associated with Marty. Terrific guy. He doesn't come to the track very often. He called me last night. Uh, was it, it was you know, Saturday night. He expected me to be in the winner's circle at the Meadowlands, and of course I was up here. So next time, Marty, you, you got to come to the race yourself. <laughs> And then finally, Dewey Cheatham and Howe had a great ownership group. And while Dewey raced and while Dewey won, he won almost every race he, he raced in. The ownership group really had fun. Uh, of course, there was Ray. Uh, and I have to mention my dear friend departed from us a few years ago, Charlie. Ionazzo, 
we also own a number of great horses. And the other two we own is Frank Baldessere, the Garys, Jerry Silver, Alan Levitt, and Steve Jones, who was the breeder. That concludes the owners. Now there are other, there are a few other gentlemen who deserve my special thanks. First, John Manzi, who all of you know or have heard of, or actually heard or saw. Unfortunately, John was the person who initiated this whole thing of me for the Hall of Fame. I said, what, why me? But John persisted and persisted, and he finally succeeded. And as you heard, John could not be here tonight. He was, this is the first of these dinners he's missed. Unfortunately, he's recovering from a auto accident. He had a couple of weeks. I first heard about this last night, and I did speak with John, and he seems to be recovering. Uh, One, then the other gentleman who I have to give thanks to and my appreciation for is a person who is the paragon of this sport, the paragon of the museum, the paragon of the Hamiltonian Society, Abby Gary, who had in this, yes, deserves that and more. Because he had the, thanking him for the confidence he had in me when he, basically I was picked to uh, be on the in, museum trustees some, I guess, 15 years ago now, and, and later the society, et cetera, et cetera. A great gentleman of the sport, and none, none better. Of course, lastly, the love of my life, Claire Chappelle, who most of you know. Who, who besides running the business end of the sport has basically, thanks to her personality, has gotten me to know many of you and, and you me. Uh, so thanks again. Finally, let me say this is a special place. I love Goshen. I've been coming up here since the early 60s, first just as a fan, and I was able, the unique thing was I was able to see the horses up close and personal. They were stable, some of them were, the big stables were stable right behind the grandstand. I was able to interact with the trainers and the drivers, and it was a unique thing, especially for me, you know, kid from the South Bronx, what did I know? I didn't know anything about horses. I knew how to bet, but that, that was about it. The little that I know that even begin to imagine that would later come to own almost, I guess, almost a thousand horses, become a museum trustee, a director, and of all things, elected to the Hall of Fame. Now, this is a great honor, and I welcome the fame that comes with it. But 
there was a well-known saying in Latin, Pepis fugit, sex transit gloria, which means time flies, fame is fleeting. This is true for all of us. Nothing lasts forever. But we want to keep our sport famous or even known for now and for future generations and ensure that the horses and the people in that we, that we admire are not forgotten. The best thing we can do is to continue to support this museum and increase that support going forward. At the very least, all of you can become museum members. The museum is the true guardian of the sport. It is the one institution that glues together all the various elements, and I'm not going to mention the various elements, you're all aware of it. In that way, if that support continues and increases, we will all continue to be famous for as long as possible. Thank you for all your patience. Claire, you're wanted at the podium. Next up, Moria Fanning. Okay. You think Glather Up was fast. Watch me. Also, Blair, I want you to know you're, you're given the 10 hole again in the order of things. So many Hall of Famers have a nickname, the White Knight, Catman, Jiggling Jesus, Magic Man. Claire Burgess will never have a nickname because his persona simply cannot be compressed into nickname status. His achievements in harness racing have not come with quantity, but with quality. The incredible performances, careers he's authored from a really small number of horses that came his way as a very young man is really unmatched in the history of the Hall of Fame. 
that his first horse was a gelded son of Romeo Hanover, and he still persisted in training, says something about his talent. There's fewer than a dozen horsemen in the Living Hall of Fame in Canada and the U.S. Blair is one of them. In the last 20 years, only two trainers have won two Hambletonians. Blair is one of them. Only eight trainers in the history of harness racing have won the trotting triple crown. Blair is one of them. We don't have to go through the names of the classic races he's won, the records he's set, the horses he's trained, though being the youngest trainer ever to win the Meadowlands Pace, it certainly stands out. But horses like Amity Chef, Frugal Gourmet, Pacers and Trotters, Hambletonian winners and jug winners, Tell All, Real Desire, Amigo Hall, Glidemaster, uh, says everything about his character, his integrity, and his devotion to the sport. All of these things afford him the sport's highest honor, the Hall of Fame. If you want to know the second highest honor, it's getting Blair to return your phone call. So we are both winners tonight. Blair? You got a grade up here? After uh, that uh, introduction, I, I almost don't need to say much. Uh, it was uh, very good. Um, I uh, did you a big favor and didn't get somebody else to throw away my speech. I threw it away myself. So I'm just going to go and say the requisite things. And uh, the first is uh, thank you very much. It's a tremendous honor to be part of this Hall of Americana. And... Um, congratulations to all my fellow inductees, all very deserving. Um, and I'm, as I go through, the first person I have to thank is my father. Um, he dragged me to racetracks, or I, I was a very willingly in tow, and that's where my obsession was born. And uh, without him doing that, uh, I probably wouldn't have even been in the horses. And his scouring of yearling catalogs over the years probably helped me find most of, or almost all of my really good horses. And I've got a uh, thanks to my mom. I've uh, gone 10 years now, so she can't enjoy this. But uh, a uh, Holocaust survivor from uh, uh, Terrazine uh, who came to North America and was really a city girl but she put up, uh, uh, put up with my father's and my horse obsession and was a, a really, really game about it and probably was my biggest fan. Um, I've also got to thank um, the, the help, the grooms, the trainers. I've had lots of good and lots of very bad, but uh, they're very important. And I'm just going to mention two specifically. Uh, William Rapson uh, worked for me for 30 years, believe it or not. Did a couple tours of Dewey to achieve those number of years. But uh, he, he managed to do that, and he broke most of my cults. So I can't let him go not unmentioned. And a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Carmichael worked for Copus and, uh, and then came to work for me and uh, spent almost 20 years and did all the jobs nobody else wanted to do. And then I've got to thank uh, 
the catch drivers, of course. And uh, if you watched me drive today, uh, you'll see why they were integral part of my success. Uh, I'll, I'll start with John, obviously. Uh, drove both my horse of the years. And uh, besides his great driving, the best part about having John drive is he, he, gave a, he had a trust in Karn and my horsemanship that uh, would always boost our confidence and, and, and make us want to drive on. And I've got to thank Trot and Trevor Ritchie, too, uh, going in the Hall of Fame in Canada this year. And, and all his big success, actually, with me was with Pacers. <laughs> so Meadowlands Pace, Program A, Metro, Road Machine. And then Mike Deschamps Mike is here. And I uh, stood on the fence when I was coming back from my elimination of the Hambo and said, uh, you need a driver for the final. And I said, I think you're right. Do you want to drive him? And uh, it was a good choice. Uh, he was an opportunist, and I made a good choice. So got my first Hamiltonian. And uh, I, I won't get out of here if I don't say something about Jody Jameson because he won't let me live it down. Um, but uh, he sucked up to me enough in the winter of 2007 that uh, he, he got to drive the drive on tell-all and got me my first jug and uh, another horse of the year. Um, then I want to thank owners. I've had lots of good support, and I'm a terrible communicator and not a lot of callbacks, but uh, most of them put up with me, and uh, I'm not going to list them all, but I've got to especially thank Brittany Farms and their principals, uh, George Siegel, Myron Bell, Art Zubrod, and Leah Chevry. Um, they gave me the opportunity to train horses with better pedigree, and they taught me to appreciate good pedigrees. And, and without their connection, I wouldn't have even found horses like Real Desire and Glide Master. Really... Uh, George Siegel and Myron Bell have been mentors as much as clients. And then quickly I'll go on to my immediate family, my kids, uh, Emma, who just got married, and I had to make a speech there about two weeks ago, so I have two nervous speeches in about 10 years uh, is enough. Um, but, and her brother Taylor and Linnea, they worked on the farm on the weekends, after school, before school, between, you know, between high school diplomas and university degrees. And they're the worst paid gamest help you could find. And I, I have to mention them. They probably have a little twinge of hate for me, but I, hopefully they'll live it down as they get older. And then finally, of course, I have to mention Karn. And we're every... Um, and, and we're thinking, all horsemen are thinking spouses here tonight because in the horse business, if you don't have a dedicated spouse, it just isn't going to work out, and, or, or not for too many anyway. And she, uh, she, she did all those things that a mother does. She had kids, raised three kids, cleaned the house, and then in the stable she did the bills, did the bookkeeping, and then did all the emotional labor that us guys think women don't have to do. And then on top of all that, she groomed my best horses. So 
Thank you very much, Karn, and I love you. I, if you can put up with it, I'll tell one quick horse story. Because Dave Briggs said I should do a horse story. You guys, if you if you can stand it this late. Um, and some people may have heard the first half of it, but I'll, I'll tell a second half. It's a John Campbell story, so maybe you'll stick around for it. And you can't. It's hard to tell a John a bad John Campbell story, probably. But 1986, I had a horse called Amity Chef that uh, was champion two-year-old in Canada, fastest two-year-old ever uh, in Canada twice with me driving him. And, but his three-year-old season started off badly. And, uh, I had my head beaten in, in the windy city pace. And I took him to the Terrapin at, at uh, old free state. And, uh, was looking for a new driver because I drove him in the windy city. So anything was going to be an improvement. And put Ronnie Waples down. He picked another horse put uh, Bill O'Donnell down, took another horse. So my third choice was John Campbell. <laughs> and um, we got, I think we went off like seven to one. Uh, John instinctive, great instinctive drive, sat, sat third over, swept the field down the backstretch, uh, drew off by eight or 10, uh, set the track record. And so we're walking down to the, to the, we're all pumped up, walking down to the winner's circle. And John doesn't even drive the horse back to the winner's circle. He, he drives over to us, walking over to the – and at Free State, the paddock was down at the head of the stretch. And he drives the horse over there. And I said, what's going on? I thought we had broken equipment or something. And John comes right up beside us, walks the horse along beside us, and says – this is 86, mind you. He says, Blair, you make sure you put me down on this horse wherever he is entered in to go. Oh, so now I'm really pumped. This is great. And uh, – so, of course, he went on. He was three-year-old of the year, made a million dollars. Fast forward 2001, I had a good three-year-old by the name of Real Desire, or I thought was a good three-year-old. Set uh, the world record at two, paced 50, when 50 still meant something. And uh, coming back at three, though, he was no good. Got my head beaten in, in the North America Cup by Better's Delight, which in hindsight, no shame, I guess. And uh, so I go to the Meadowlands for the qualifiers, and I say, if he doesn't qualify good at the, in a qualifier, the metal, I'm not even going to enter the Meadowlands pace. So I'll put John down, maybe re rekindle the fire. And uh, the horse goes out, uh, wins the qualifier, 50 and change, or 51 fastest qualifier ever at the Meadowlands. And at the time, I mean, it doesn't mean anything today. But, uh, and so I saw, this is great. We're all set. We're going to the Meadowlands pace. we got John Campbell. So just as John's leaving the qualifiers, I run up and catch up with him and, and uh, just wanted to talk equipment and make sure he was ready to go. And he liked the way he was rigged because John always had good feedback. And they, so he says there's not much wrong. He just wanted one bridle change. And then just to double check things at the end, I said, I better ask. I said, John, so I'll put you down on the Meadowlands pace a limbs. And John says, and I was crestfallen when he said it, I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> so, Times changed in 15 years. It was a, I was dealing with a different John Campbell. But, uh, but it, it was fine. It worked out. We won the Meadowlands pace with John Campbell, and he was horse of year the following year. Thank you very much.
Yeah, Blair's telling all these stories on me, right? Okay. And they're all true. I get that part. However, I know we want to leave, but this is kind of funny. So now we got Glidemaster, and I start driving Glidemaster, and I, I tell Blair, I said, we have to get Glidemaster the way rigged and to race the way Real Desire was, a one run. That was his best race. Okay. So now Blair does that. He does a fantastic job with that. We're going to the Hamiltonian, and everything's going good. We got the eliminations, and this was when cell phones just came in. So I had qualified in the morning, and uh, I call home. Paula says, uh, Blair called. And I said, that's bad news. And she says, what do you mean? I said, Blair never calls with good news. Now we move on to the Communicators Hall of Fame. We bring to the podium Rich Johnson. All right, I'm going to be very quick. First of all, congratulations to the new Hall of Fame members. In Mark Hall's almost 40 years at the USTA, he has covered all the biggest races, horses, and connections. He's only the third photographer at the USTA, and he's had big shoes to fill of his mentors, George Smallsreed and Ed Keyes, now fellow Hall of Fame members. Mark is always help, helpful to help someone get a photo. He does it with that silly little sly smile of his. He'll help anyone do about anything, anytime. You may not know he's an accomplished Elvis impersonator, and you may not also know that he's a real prankster. One of the times at the USTA, he outlined the body in a chalk line, and then he also put caution tape outside the door. So when everybody left for the day, you can imagine the shrieks and shrills and how people felt as they went out. And that's typical Mark Hall. Mark is the ultimate family man He's joined here tonight with his wife, Becky, his son, Jacob, and his daughter, Sarah, and his stepson, Josh. Also, his brother, Marshall, and his wife, Barb. He also has a few grandkids. Not exactly sure, but I know it's a few. Everyone asks him, what's your favorite picture? And that is, well, I'll let him tell you that because I'm just the setup man. Anyway, I'm proud to introduce the newest member to the Communicator Hall of Fame, my friend and traveling buddy, Mr. Mark Hall. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
You may be seated. I know we wanted to stretch. Thank you, Rich. And I, too, have a John Campbell story, but I will save that for another day, too. And, Rich, thank you. As Rich said, he's our traveling buddy. We're also, uh, tra- we also travel with our uh, social media crew, uh, Michael Carter and Wendy Ross, which makes up our traveling team. So uh, I'd like to thank all my fellow Ushwans who, again, has nominated me and voted me in here. It's, uh, it's beyond a dream, and I think everybody that has spoken up here would say that. It's just beyond a dream. It's uh, something you can't even imagine or even think about. So thank you for that, and thank you very much. I'd like to thank God for all of his blessings, of course, and thanks for him blessing us with a horse, which all we love and are blessed with. I'm uh, especially honored to join my fellow co-workers here in the Hall of Fame, in the communicator's corner, uh, first with Dean Hoffman, and Dean would always be encouraging and say, shoot something different. And then after Dean, uh, the legendary George Smallsry, and from George we go to Ed Keyes, another mentor of mine, Carol Kramer, John Pavlock, Jerry Connors, David Carr, and even John Barry briefly. Uh, working with them and knowing their thoughts and seeing their work habits and how it evolved into their passion was uh, what I would say it's just a uh, I don't know, just a, a, a wonderful experience to know that. I'd like to thank everyone associated with the USTA, from the directors to President Russell Williams, Mike Tanner of USTA, uh, COO, TC uh, Lane, and also our communications director, Dan Larry. I mentioned team earlier, and they're the leaders of our team here at, at uh, USTA and Hoofbeat. And I played sports when I was younger, uh, everything from little league to junior high, high school, and college, and I was always on a team. And so I always consider my coworkers with the USJ and Hoofbeats teammates. And me accepting this award, I kind of feel like I just scored a touchdown, or maybe hit a home run, but I wouldn't have done it without the team behind me. And so I think of them as I accept this. Um, I like to start with my Previous editors, I mentioned Hoffman, but also uh, Nicole Kraft, T.J. Burkett, and now Kim French, and the rest of our award-winning team at Hoofbeats, from art director Gina Gallagher, Heather Casens, our advertising director, uh, Jason Turner, and Paul Ramblow. And now we have an intern, Alex. Alex is here. He's helping us out for the summer, too. So, Alex, thank you, and look forward to seeing and seeing your work. Um, want to thank my family. Now, Rich mentioned my family, but she is the love of my life. Uh, Becky, and you'll see her later. I'll ask her to come up here for a picture later, too. Uh, and join me again with Joshua, Jacob, Sarah, my other two, Shannon, and Jeffrey. That's what I'll be listening to. And my brother's here. And I first got introduced to racing with my brother. He had a farm. He had some horses, county fair horses. But I would always go over there. And pet, and always like to touch things ever since I was a little kid. So I'd always want to touch his horses and pet his horses. And uh, that was my first experience with uh, horses, and which led me to being hired in 82 at the USTA. And I'd like to thank uh, 
all the other photographers out there. I'm, they are who inspire me, who keep me going. I see everything that comes into the USTA newsroom from them. Uh, some of, are here tonight. I first remember meeting Deuce. Everybody knows the Deuce man. Deuce is back here. He's been taking pictures for us tonight. And also uh, more of a, a challenge for me has been to writing. I just like taking pictures, but uh, the other photographers you've seen up here, Chris Tully and Ken Weingartner, they can write and shoot. I've always been envious of that. So, uh, and then all the other photographers, but I'd like to mention their names, but Janet's shaking her head not to mention their names. So, okay. But I will mention one. We lost one just a couple of days ago, John Pantalone. And everybody remembers, should remember John, but he died. Uh, he uh, started in 72, 1972, and uh, he just died a couple of weeks ago. Worldwide Racing, you should remember him. And he's the first one that had, he shot black and white. He was the first one that converted and started doing wind circle pictures in color. So please remember John, his family, and your prayers during this time. There's one thing I see in all of you people. I remember seeing the Hall of Fame induction for football, and I just happened to be watching, and it was that of Howie Long, former All-Pro defensive end or tackle for the Los Angeles Raiders. And when he was giving his Hall of Fame, and the only thing I remember about it was he said, baseball may be America's pastime, but football is America's passion. And I thought that was pretty profound. So I quickly kind of thought about it a little bit more and thought, well, maybe thoroughbred racing is America's pastime and harness racing is America's passion. But the more I thought about that, seeing the love of the sport, I, I've never seen anything like it. Working a factory job while I was going to school, people go to work, go home and think nothing about work. You people live your work. Us, we all live harness racing. The county fairs, you work the full-time job, you take horses to the county fair, the, the race, you know what it's all about. I don't need to tell you about it. So then I thought a little bit more, I'm thinking harness racing is America's pastime and it is its passion. And it's my passion too. And I spoke as a kid, I would always touch things, touch my brother's horse. And I may not have touched enough horses as an ID tech or maybe a farm manager, but I started looking at the, all the horses in a journal in, uh, as far as the horses of the year and the horses here in the Hall of Fame. And I, I go back and first great horse I remember seeing was 1980 uh, Nitros, that's Little Brown Jug. And I remember touching him. But every winter circle after that, I would touch horses or whether I'm out at the farm taking pictures of the stallions or of the mares or of the babies, I would touch them. And I started thinking, I started looking at every horse from Niatros and I, I touched every one of them, at, whether it be a pat on the back or, you know, just a pat on the rump, like a congratulatory pat. And well, wow. And then I looked at the list of all the Hall of Fame inductees, everybody in the, all the people in the Hall of Fame. And I'm thinking, wow, I know most of those people and either have spoken to them or shaken their hand. And, and then it becomes a little bit overwhelming and having the privilege of, and the honor of meeting all those people. And at the end of the day, I look back and I realized it wasn't me 
touching the people. It was them who touched me. And it wasn't me who touched the horses. It was the horses who touched me. And that's my passion. Okay. Thank you. Becky, could you come up here? Everybody, meet me and wife, Becky. Becky, I'd like to get her in the picture. If it wasn't for her watching the kids at home and understanding the traveling that we do on and off. Oh, and while she's coming up here, I do have a, kind of a, a listening to Blair, another kind of a dirty story. But I won't tell you about all the stories because you can read them in hoofbeats or read them in a journal. But there's one shot in there of a little full and with a, with the setting sun in the background, and I was out there at the farm, and I quickly saw them coming, and I knew they would be coming across the head to the shed, and I'm thinking, oh, so I lay down in the grass real quick, and sure enough, here they come, and I made this, and and the little hole stopped, and looked at me, and I took the picture, and that's one of the pictures you'll see in in hoofbeat that little hole. Well, it was just it was so breathtaking. Anyway, I got up, and I didn't realize where I laid down. And so that's my dirty part, and I had to wash my clothes afterwards. So you'll appreciate that picture more, knowing what I went through to get there. Thank you. To introduce our next Communicator Hall of Famer, bring to the podium one and only John Barry. Well, I just want you all to know that I'm all lathered up for this, and my speech is only going to be about one minute and 46 seconds flat. So there you go. Go. Well, it does my heart good to be in Goshen this night. I wasn't at all sure if I was pleased to be able to uh, do this, but uh, the mere invitation from Dave Little to give his introduction to the Communicators Hall of Fame was more than enough of an impetus to get here tonight, and I sure am glad to be with all of you. It was back 55 years ago when I, my first writings appeared in the Horseman and Fair World, and uh, that's when Pompano Park opened in February of 1964, and since then I've witnessed countless highlights going back to the days of Sumac Ladd in the, in the uh, 50s and 60s, and this very moment, and this very moment with Dave Little uh, equals one of the great highlights in my career, I will tell you that. Uh, it's not about the grand things uh, I myself have to say about Dave. It's about the opportunity to tell you what one of the true icons of the sports world thought about Dave. My words aren't good enough, I will tell you that. But a gentleman who's no longer in our world 
and his name is Murray Janoff. Murray was at the age of 100, and before he passed, I had the privilege of visiting him near the end of his grand life as a Hall of Fame journalist, not just in harness racing, as a charter member of Ushua, but as a gentleman who covered pro football, college and pro basketball, baseball, track and field, tennis, baseball for the Associated Press, United Press International, Reuters, Long Island Press, during seven decades of service to the sports world. Anoff said something. Everyone paid attention. So the praise for Dave, while it comes from my vocal cords, it means so much more when the author of these thoughts comes from Murray Janoff. And he said, they don't have to be deep. They just have to hit the point. So Murray said, after I'm gone, I hope the Hall of Fame's welcome a guy like Dave Little into that great hall. He says, here's a gentleman whose knowledge is never ending. His dedication is unwavering. His agility is like a rainbow encompassing every hue of harness racing. He said, that's really all you have to say about Dave Little, because he'll tell you the rest. And there's a lot of journal. So it's with these words that we welcome Dave Little to the stage for his introduction and induction to the Communicators Hall of Fame. And I'd like Gabe Pruick to come up here, please. Gabe, can you step up here as well? Where's the man, Gabe Pruitt? Gabe, uh, Gabe and Dave are partners at the Meadowlands. Gabe and I are partners at uh, Pompano Park. And we have noticed that this gentleman is one of the outstanding handicappers in harness racing history. So tonight, as just a little extra something, as what we would like to bestow this PhD, this professional harness racing degree, to Dave Little. He is now the doctor of harness racing handicapping. So Dave, we are presenting you this PhD. The stage is all yours, my friend. It's an honor to have you as a friend and as a, uh, as a well, just as a harness racing's happy to have him right alongside. Dave, thank you for being with us. Dave, it's all yours. Thank you. They say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. But I know that's not true, because I chose harness racing, so I did choose my family. For example, the gentleman who introduced me. I've been close to John Berry and his wonderful wife, Abby, for longer than I can remember. I don't totally know how we met, but I do know that I'm so proud to call them family, even when John plays his kazoo. That doesn't mean you can play it now, John. I do remember meeting Bruce and Linda Greider. It was my first trip to DeCoin, and the Griders were campaigning world champion Mini-Me. Less than two weeks later, we got a call from them. They wanted to make sure Debbie and I were okay after planes struck the Twin Towers. And now, 18 years later, 
They flew in from Illinois to surprise me with a Hall of Fame paver for my induction. That's what family does. I met Leah Ustakowicz when she was a 19-year-old college student attending the Clive Hurt Journalism Workshop. She calls my wife, Debbie, and I her harness racing parents. She even put it on a brick in front of the museum. I was honored to preside at her wedding to her now husband, Stephen Jeremiah. I've even offered to babysit her son, Tommy. Thankfully, she's never taken me up on that one. Adam Berkowitz started out at the Daily News as my assistant racing clerk. He worked his way through the ranks and ended his career as a senior managing editor. I like to think that I had a lot to do with his success, whether he agrees or not. I'm so happy that Troy Dombrowski and his girlfriend Jeanette Seeley could be here tonight. I met Troy in 1974. We were 12 years old. And he's always been there for me. Well, except for that time when I broke my leg. But it's okay, Louie. My limp is barely noticeable now. I couldn't have asked for a better best friend than Dave Lazar. He is the Spock to my Kirk. And for the millennials, the Sheldon to my Leonard. Wait a minute. This is harness racing. There aren't any millennials in this room. <laughs> I also have to thank his wife, Lynn, who puts up with the constant talk and texts about the track, the Mets, and our yearly trip to Las Vegas. You know that you've always been more than merely my best friend's wife. I have three terrific nephews, Jeff, Johnny, and Kenny, all of which have actually been to the track and seen harness racing live. In fact, Jeff made his first bet when he was nine years old, and he won a hundred bucks. Even at that age, he was smart enough to bet my picks. My sister Christina is the nicest, sweetest, kindest person you could ever meet. You know how you ask people to help you move, and they say, yeah, sure, sure, and then they never show up? Not only does my sister show up, but then she'll help you unpack. She'll make you dinner and then do the dishes. And I love her very much. My brother Kevin couldn't be here tonight because he had to work. He's one of New Jersey's finest. And there's no one I'd want in the foxhole with him more than me. Growing up, I learned a lot from my brothers Craig and Mark. They love the Yankees and thus are responsible for my love of the Mets. They taught me to never be late for a meal or there wouldn't be anything left. Maybe I learned that one just a little bit too well. My sister and brothers are Hall of Famers to me, and I'm proud to be their brother. Next, the spotlight shifts to my mom, where it should always be. Anyone who knows me has heard me tell stories using the phrase, my poor mother. Any of you who knew me and my brothers growing up understand what I'm talking about. 
Most kids dream about turning 18 and moving out. When I turned 18, my mom moved out. But she's always been my champion, proud of me no matter what I do, and I will always be her baby boy. Thank you, Mom. I love you. I'd also like to thank my Meadowlands family, Jeff Gorrell and Jason Settlemore, for hiring me to a job that I consider my second dream job in my life. Very lucky. All the guys in TV, Oz Cologne, my partner Dave Brower, Hollywood Hayden, Ken Warkington, Jessica Otten, and of course, Gabe Pruitt. My historic track family, Steve Jones, Linda Myers, Tim Masters, and everyone I work with on the judges stand, and my Orleans County Fair family, Kim Brooks, George Hickman, George Churchill, Lori Royer, and Frankie Vezina. Last, I'd like to thank my wife. How lucky can one guy get? I show up at Yonkers in April of 1988 to do a radio show, and I see this girl there, and boom, it's love at first sight for me. Only problem was she had a boyfriend of three years. But we put him aside a short time later. Debbie and I will be married 30 years in September. You can applaud that. And the last 30 years have been a nonstop adventure being spent with the love of my life, who I'm lucky enough to have love me. When you consider all that, and on top of it all, I married a girl who's a harness racing journalist. Like I said, how lucky can one guy get? Finally, a harness handicapper spends his life choosing the horses. And to paraphrase the great author and mediocre pitcher, Jim Bouton, I spend my life choosing the horses, but in the end, it turns out it was the other way around all the time. Congratulations to all of tonight's honorees, and thank you very much. I want to thank you for all coming tonight. The results of the raffle can be found in the Houghton Hall. You stop by the gift shop on your way out. And mark on the calendar, Sunday, July the 5th, next year. Be here! And it's 940.